All right. Well, certainly good to have you guys here. Good to see you. And I'm sure on days like this, uh, you've probably been hitting the pool a little bit, right? <laughs> What's that? You were comparing the cam. Not with you. But not with me. Yeah, that's a little unfair. <laughs> well, we are in probably what I consider the, the cornerstone chapter of Nehemiah. I think it's a jewel in this uh, the book of Nehemiah as we go through it. The question I'd ask is, I wonder what people would uh, think about a worship that have about six hours of Bible reading and preaching at the people's request. And, and the people standing for all that whole time. And even more so, the next day they come back for more. What would you think of that? That would make you wonder, you know. I wonder what people would think of that. Um, not so sure. Uh, I think it would be really accurate to call it some kind of revival, uh, a spiritual renewal. And at the center of this spiritual renewal is the Word of God. And that's what I like about this the most. It's about the Word of God. And this is where it's kind of a turning point. It makes these people a people of the book as they are read it and, and, and taught it. Uh, if you look at down through the centuries, God's people have gone through cycles where their Word of God has been neglected. Word of God is almost reduced to nothing. And then the, you think of the spiritual condition of the people, what would it be? It would be deteriorated to nothing, wouldn't it? And that's what's happened down through history. Then God sends a renewal, and inevitably it's done because of the Word of God. The Word of God spreads, and the emphasis on that, people's lives change. You look in the Old Testament, you have King Manasseh, a godless reign uh, of that particular king, and even his son, Ammon. Uh, Ammon's son was Josiah, though. And when he was about 16 years old, he instituted spiritual reforms in the nation. And, of course, the Word of God was discovered. It was found by a priest, Hilkiah. He found a copy of God's law, if you remember. And Josiah called the nation to repentance as they listened to the Word of God. And he called them to repentance. They repented. And there again, you had spiritual renewal, a revival. Because God's Word was preached, is taught, is read, and then it was obeyed. I mean, that, that's a key. You just can't have it preached or read, but it must be obeyed too. Same thing happened during the Reformation. And, uh, of course, you go back to the uh, 1400s, 1500s, end of the 1600s, you had a revival of God's Word. And what an impact that made. Before that, priests really were the only ones that had access to the Word of God. It was uh, at that time during the Dark Ages uh, when it was read, it was done in Latin. And unless you were from Rome or uh, from Italy, you're not going to understand it. As a matter of fact, from what I understand, up until the 50s and the 60s here in this nation, Latin was still uh, used and the only language used to read uh, the Bible. So your average person couldn't even hear it and understand it. Uh, John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, if you remember, 
had a lot to do with the Word of God being put in English so that we can read it and understand it. Uh, they were willing to give up their lives or at least willing to do that. Martin Luther, uh, you think of him in the 1500s as he translated the, the Bible from Latin into German into the common language. Of course, the, the church at that time, the Roman Catholic Church, didn't want that to happen either. But uh, that's what he did. That was what the Reformation did. John Calvin, at the, um, shortly about that same time, began to do expository sermons. He was one of the first to do that uh, at that time. And really the one that was the most well-known. Uh, he would take books of the Bible and go through it verse by verse. Imagine that! <laughs> but when he did that, people started applying the Word and the response there in Geneva was incredible. Uh, amazing what happened. So that was during the Reformation. Reformation kind of continued. What was the theme of the Reformation? Sola Scriptura. There were other solas. There were five of them, but that was a capstone there. Once you open the Scripture up, then other things come into place too, don't they? The same thing was true of the Puritan revivals, and you think of the 1600s into the 1700s, especially in the 1700s, you think here in America, you had the England revivals, you had um, Puritanism above all else was a Bible movement. It was about people reading the Bible, understanding it, applying it. It was preached from the pulpits. So it's a very precious possession that was there during those revivals. And it was a reverence for God's Word. It was about obeying Scripture. Be obedient to God. And So when people neglect His Word, then you see it deteriorate. And then you see what happens to nations. We've experienced it. We are experiencing it in this nation where it's very rare for really the Bible to be uh, a popular thing amongst uh, the normal person. Um, but the written Word of God is the privilege that we have. That's what changes our lives along with God's Spirit. And the Puritans, what they did was to know what the Bible said and then to do what it prescribed. And it uh, produced obedience. And that was Puritanism's hallmark. And, of course, the Great Awakening... Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, and that's what they preached, the Bible. And it made such a huge impact. And then when it seems to die down, you, of course you can think of the days of Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon preached the Bible. He would take one verse and expound on it. And uh, at that time there were literally you know, thousands of people come to hear him preach because there weren't really hardly anybody else doing it. But there was a revival even even right there. And in our times, it's kind of waxed and waned. But the Word of God is, is still here. And then you think of the, the 1900s and the mid-1900s. Uh, one of the great ex, greatest expositors, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of, one of our friends we have to think of. And we love to hear him uh, still as his tapes and read his books and such. But... That's what he did. He would take uh, the book of Ephesians, six chapters. And I've got to get back to recording those again because, he, he, believe it or not, that is not finished. They're still doing Ephesians 6. <laughs> Ephesians 6, he has been on for months. One week at a time, of course. Anyway, 
let's uh, let's go to the Lord, who is the Master of the Lord. Father, we thank you for who you are, how you show yourself, how you reveal yourself. The most important way is through your Word. It's precious, and as we go through this famous chapter here tonight, this chapter eight. May it ring true to us that we would be people of the Word, the people of the Bible, the people of the book. For that is what tells us how to worship You, how we learn about You, how we are to live our lives accordingly. It's a joyous chapter. And uh, Lord, we depend upon Your Spirit to guide us into further precious truths. In Your Son's name, Amen. Glad to be on this chapter. I'm excited about this chapter. Man, it is really a, a jewel, just shining bright. Uh, let's read it. Nehemiah 8, starting at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, all could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashem, Hashbadah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he is standing above all the people. When he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low, worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shebiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give a sense that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. What a section. There you have people gathering. They're gathering so they can hear the Word of God. And they're asking, Read it. Read the Word. They gathered as one man. What an assembly this is, isn't it? People gather. They ask Ezra to, to bring the book, the scroll. It didn't have books like what we have. Everything was scrolls. 
law of Moses. And you'll notice, it's the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. I think that's a pretty key point, isn't it? Which the Lord had given to Israel. So they read from it. We know it's read publicly from dawn all the way till noon. Makes you wonder what the temperatures were at that time, doesn't it? How hot was that sun? <laughs> but the whole thing here is, is, is about the reading and the power of the Word. Go to 1 Timothy 4.13. Paul had a lot to say about the Word of God, especially as he wrote those pastoral letters. Timothy being one of those. And 4.13... Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. That is why when you go to church, everything is really revolving around this. Do you catch this? Give attention to the public reading. The Word of God is to be read. And then exhorted and then preached. Explained. Taught. And that's what happened here in uh, Nehemiah's time here. Uh, Ezra, he's a scribe. This is not Nehemiah now. For the first seven chapters, we've been dealing with Nehemiah. What a great leader. What a great administrator that he is. A man of God. We, we looked at that through all those chapters. We looked at it last week in chapter 7. Uh, Ezra is now going to take over in this chapter as he will read the Word. By the way, it says um, they ask him to bring that. And the reason is that he's skilled. He's skilled in the Word of God. He knows the Word of God. Uh, Go to Ezra, and it's the book just before this one. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. This tells you all about Ezra. This is all you need to know. There are more. <laughs> this is important here. For Ezra had set his heart, look at this, to study the law of the Lord. Not only study it, but what? Practice it. And to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So he studied it. It would make an impact on him. He practiced it. And then he taught it. That's Ezra. This is a great man of God up on a pulpit, opening up the scrolls and giving it to the people. And i got a feeling a lot of those people are hearing the Word of God read for the first time in their lives. We don't know how many. There's going to be a lot of them. Thousands of people there. It gave that list to people in chapter 7. We dealt with that last week. Anyway, it was said, it's been said in tradition that Ezra memorized at least the Pentateuch. He had every word memorized. Knew it upside down, inside out. Memorized the whole thing, word for word. I believe that. Matter of fact, a lot of Hebrew people at one time would learn the Bible. They'd memorize it. He had access to it, but yet he memorized it. He could use it at any time. It was better than an iPhone. Man, he just had it right here. He didn't have to go in there and turn it on and worry about the battery. I mean, he, he had it right here. And so memorization of the Word of God is really important. 
I don't have any books memorized. I've heard of people doing that. I've been amazed by it. Take a, like for instance, the Book of Romans, word for word, all the way through. Probably even other books. The authority of the Word of God, I think, is really established here. Uh, full divine authority. Look at that phrase right at the end of verse one. The Book of the Law of Moses. Somebody read that last phrase there. What do you see? Which the Lord had given to Israel. Moses had it. God gave it to Moses. Of course, Moses then shares it with the people. That's talking about something that is divine authority. This is God who gives this word. So when we sit down and we listen to it, we hear it read, we're reading it for ourselves, and then it's exposited and then applied, that is what life is about. And that is what worship is about because it's coming really from God. You know, It's not the preacher that's heralded, not even the apostles or whoever wrote the book, but it's really God ultimately who wrote this, gives it to us. And uh, there's a commentator by the name of Kidner. He says, One does not tamper with material that one would describe in such terms. You don't tamper with God's Word, do you? What authority this is. So the people recognized this. They respected the fact that God is the one who had given this material to Moses, who in turn gave it to them. You're talking about authority? This is high authority. Incredible authority. It's from God and God alone. Anytime we open this up, you're guaranteed where it came from. You know, absolutely. And it's not adulterated, not polluted, not corrupted in any manner. It's all the Word of God. It's all true. God's Word brings revival. That's what we see here in, in Nehemiah here. Law of Moses, would you say it would be somewhat rare at that time for people to read it? Yeah. It's not like it's in every home. Matter of fact, it's probably hard in, not in any home. Basically, you'll find it in a synagogue. Many of the Jews may never even heard of it before, or, or at least heard it read, I mean. Um, we read that Timothy passage. Give attention to, to what you do, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Until the printing press, and that was invented in the 1500s. Think of all of mankind, and they didn't really have a really a, a big way and a quick way of mass producing something written. How how were things gotten out? And written. That's the only way they can do it. I also like a monastery because they messed up on a simple word. And they kicked them out for a while. Every little jot or tittle. They didn't mess around when it came to and it took a person an entire lifetime, like 60 years, just to write one, one full Bible. Is what a lot of the documentaries are watching. Now, can you imagine sitting down and just not typing this out, writing it out, writing it out? 
How blessed we are. Don't ever forget it. You can open up your Bible anytime. As a matter of fact, if you don't have Bible with you, if you have your phone with you, it's probably going to be right there. Isn't that incredible? You have it with you all the time. No excuses. No excuses. That's right. That's right. We're held more responsible than any group of people ever in the history of mankind because of that. What and and we probably are most one of the most illiterate of the Bible. When I say we, mankind here, uh, our nation. People back then, though, they were most of them. If you think of the Dark Ages, they were illiterate. The Bible had to be read publicly to the common people. And you think about it, God could have communicated in different ways. He's done it by the written word, and it must be the perfect way because that's the way God did it, and He always does everything perfect. But He could have communicated with other, some other form than writing. Maybe He could send an angel to each language group, and the angels would be able to speak in their language so they could understand that and, and get that. Uh, that would have saved a lot of time to people like the Wycliffe Bible translators, wouldn't it? Just have an angel come down and let him give it to you. Or you could have the message communicated from one generation to another generation. God didn't really do it that way. He has done it in written form. We have it before us. We have the completed Word of God all right there, Old and New Testament. I would argue that the strength of a church is how many of the percentage of people in that church read and study God's written Word. That's the strength along with prayer. You put those two together, you'll have a strong church. That's a key. Um, I think about how much we should be reading. You think about all the time that we put into to TV and pointless computer things, computer games, and TV is out there spewing out garbage as it is. I think we want to want to challenge each other to read, to reread the Bible, think about what we have here, and that's where spiritual renewal comes from. It comes through God's Word. Psalm one nineteen. You think of that. It extols God's Word. Longest chapter in all the Bible. Psalm 119. And that Psalm 119, every, every uh, verse there is about the Word. Psalm 119. Some people say the author there could be Ezra. It mentions God's Word. Some synonym for the Word. brings revival. Well, let's go to Psalm 119 just for uh, a few moments. Let's check out a few verses. Matter of fact, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Psalm 119. Pretty well in the middle of your Bible. Unless you have a study Bible. It's always considered to be kind of the center of the Bible. We're just going to read a few verses here. Um, Psalm 119, verse 25. Somebody help me read that. My life is down in the dust, giving life through your word. What's that last phrase? Give me life through your word. Give me life through your word. Revive me according to your word. Give me life. Look at verse 50. Give us a hand on this. Somebody read that. 
my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. There we go again. It's going with life. Yeah. Revive. What did you say? The last phrase? Uh, that your promise gives me life. What did you say there? For that word has quickened me. Quickened me. Regenerated. Given life. Revived. That's old King Jimmy there, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, it's saying the same stuff, isn't it? Look at verse 93. Let's go to party. And somebody help us with that one. What's it have there, Audrey? I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. So quickened, over here, it'll probably be dealing with life. NES will say revived. Do we see the similarities? Again, that's what the Word of God does. <laughs> it, it gives us life. It, it regenerates us. It stimulates us, right? Revives us. Uh, keep going. Yep, go ahead. What's that? It kind of goes with how we're dead. Also, like, like it, it, it restores you to life. That's right. Meaning we're dead. Yeah. Right. Coming, starting at salvation, and even in our walks, yeah. we, can, our, we can have dead, dead walks sometimes. You know, and that, that brings us back to uh, 107. It's going to be the same sense. I'm exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, or quicken me, or give me life, <laughs> O Lord, according to Your Word. Verse one forty nine. One forty nine. Hear my voice, according to Your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to Your ordinances. Same thing, isn't it? Verse one fifty four. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me. Quicken me. Give me life according to Your Word. wonder why He keeps saying this over and over. Greater Your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to Your ordinances. Ordinances, Word, same thing. So, we are revived. When you're feeling at a time when you don't feel alive, alive to God, where do you go? There it is. After reading that psalm, all you can gather is that this guy's a Bible thumper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he loves it, doesn't he? The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible says this. Thank you, Tom. They were did that, and then it turned around. When we're in a different time period than these people were, they were hungry for it. Yeah, they were starving, but they were had a reverence for it. 
And that's why I think when we see this Psalm 119, we should recognize that we need to be revived. We need to be quickened. We need to have some life. Where's the life in, you know, right? Power of the Word. Yeah, we need, it's talking about t- seriously, and this in Nehemiah is, Eldon, exactly is what you're talking about here, because here these people are really serious. Now, before they really weren't, but they've seen what God has done through Nehemiah. It's like God started preparing them, and as they started doing the work of building the wall and such, they saw how God had operated through Nehemiah, and all of them actually how he protected them. They did something in 52 days which was pretty pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And now it's like, wow, this is for real. This is really real that Nehemiah would even be here representing, you know, the, the king sent him here. And, and so, I think they want to know about God. Verse 2, and this is reverence. You said the word reverent there. This is reverent. God's people must reverently hear the Word expound. The first one, God's people must have the desire to read His Word. Number two, God's people must be reverent to hear the words expounded. What does it say in verse 2? Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. They have ears to hear Mind you, what Jesus says a lot, right? He who has ears, let him hear. I've got those passages down there in Mark and and in Luke. Uh, Having ears that work still doesn't guarantee that we really hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking about more than just hearing something audibly. He's talking about something that reaches our hearts. Somebody said this, God made us with two ears that we cannot close. You ever thought about that? You can't close your ears unless you go like that, I guess. But, you know, it's not automatic. But your, but your mouth, you only have one mouth and we can close that. Your ears, you have to do something. I don't really do that, you know. But sometimes we, we, we can close our minds we don't really hear what's being said, even though there are precious truths that are being brought forth from the Word. You know, it's possible to hear the Bible read, hear it preached, mm-hmm. and not hear a thing. The mind was elsewhere. Heard something going on, but it never reached anywhere, did it? Number uh, Verse 3, it talks about how attentive they were. He read it from before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were what? Attentive to the book of the law. Man, we should be doing this on Sunday. (laughs) We really should make sure that they know why they're here and why they are to pay attention. It shouldn't be here for me or anybody else. It ain't about anybody else. It's about His Word, isn't it? So, we see here they're very attentive. Uh, we know they 
They stand up. This is in verse 4. Ezra uh-huh. the scribes stood at a wooden podium which they had made for that this purpose. And it talks about some people's names there, right? <laughs> and he's standing above all the people in verse 5. He opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now what we're seeing, how attentive are they? They're standing up. They're going to stand for like six hours. It's like a royal visitor has come in. And they bow down in worship. And they weren't worshiping the actual scroll that's there. But it's God who is the one who'd given the words that are on that scroll. So it's about God. It's not just just a physical thing, a Bible or a scroll or whatever, but it's actually the very words that come from Him. So when one is attentive, do you know where it really comes from? Reverence. If one is reverent before God, then they will actually be attentive. And we'll see reverence in a moment. But that's really where it stems from. If no matter if we know what even is even going to be talked about, if and we can barely understand things, if we're reverent, if one takes God as being holy, then you know what? That word is going to speak and anybody can understand it. The most simple can understand God's word. We'll pay attention to what he says if we realize that this word is really coming from who? God. It's his word. Now, a preacher may be delivering it really with much ex- excitement, a lot of joy. Maybe he's monotone. People can you know, blame the preacher and everything. But if he's doing the Word of God, no matter how it's delivered, it's that Word that changes lives. That's how important it really is. So, paying attention. If we, if we forget this, then our minds will start wandering and we'll wonder, you know, what am I doing here? You know, well, you know, sometimes preachers can be boring. I was going to say, though, uh, like I, I always think of whenever I think of boring things and monotone speaking, I'm thinking about Jonathan Edwards, how his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of the Name of God, was delivered, from what I've heard, if I'm, if I'm remembering this right, monotone. Exactly. He just read it. Right, because, and that's because he was afraid of the allure and the, the visual uh, enticement of doing anything uh, in himself uh, through reading and, and pausing. But but what does that say? Like that's very that's very reverent. I, I will say that. But what does that say about the power of the Word of God, because if, if if the power is there, wouldn't that cause a preacher to be invigorated, to be uh, loud and bold and and you know all in awe of God and causing people to be the same, you know, leading others to be the same? So, like he said, maybe it doesn't matter the way it's preached and. But I think God's word will work with that. I think I think it's going to uh, 
since it is the Word of God, it will not. I, I don't know if that's the manner in which God works, so to speak. Like, I think it's more definitely more uh, active. Yeah, well, God has um, just like different gifts that everybody has. And every preacher is going to be different and unique in the way that he presents it. Some are going to be very, very lively, you know, and they're going to be, you know, very moved by what they have. Other people will be, be moved also, but they might be a lot quieter. You have your screamers, and then you have uh, all sorts of different ones. But if they're if they're sticking with this, God God will bless that. And if they have studied and and uh, honored God through this word, you know, so uh, if even if people, you know, if if I as a preacher or teacher lose your attention, still yet we are to direct our minds to the text of the scripture. Could be having a really rough day. Might even have a tough time with my voice. I've been doing that for months now. But yet at the same time, direct your mind right to the the text of the Scripture, and ask the Lord to open your heart. Because it's really Him who ultimately is speaking through this right here. So, the attentiveness that they had there is, I think, rather incredible. Yeah, they were hungry. They have great reverence here in verse 5. Uh, the sight of the people, he's standing, Ezra's got that book open. If it's above all the people, why would you think that they would have, they would have put him up on a big podium above all the people. So they can hear it. <laughs> they, can, they can hear it. They can see what's going on. There's thousands of people here. And I think also, as far as the Word of God, it's elevated too. It should be above the people, shouldn't it? Representing God. So there, I think there are a lot of, definitely the practical aspect is there. I mean, it only makes sense. They had this thing ready so that people would be able to hear. Like they'd a, see. It's like a way of honoring Would be kind of high and lifted up, wouldn't he? Yeah, and that's certainly well, not that the point. Because he was speaking the word of God, so he was. But it, 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 it was, was it like was really it was a spiral staircase, and he probably his feet was ten feet above the crowd. Yeah, it's almost like how does he connect with the people? Right. Right. Here, the the point that is brought out in Nehemiah, it's about, um, of course, I think.
think the practical aspect is really, really huge there. And of course, it's an exaltation of God's word. There's a reverence that the, if the Bible is from God Himself, it's saying to us, that, "Hey, this certainly would behoove us to listen reverently to what He is saying in this in this book that He's given to us." Suppose you went to listen to a reading of a will of somebody, a relative. You're going to be listening. You're really going to be listening because you're wondering if your name is in there and how much you're going to get. I mean, you're going to hear this, aren't you? Now, the law, you're reading it, you know, and oh, wow, sorry, Audrey. You know, if lawyers are just reading something, you know, it's, what is it? It's legalese, you know. It's, it's like, wow, that's hard to follow, right? People have times, so I'm not, I'm not getting on lawyers here. But if the lawyer has something really important to say and involves you, guess what? You want to hear every word that's being said. Well, now, if we give attention in hearing what God has left for us, right? How much more is is that and to know what He has given us? So Charles Spurgeon gave that little illustration. So I didn't make that up. So that was pretty good. Anyway, verse 6, Then Ezra, oh, I love this, Word of God, it's being read, He blessed the Lord, His personal name there, Yahweh, the great God. Don't you like that? This is praise. When you hear the Word of God, what should be coming out of us? Praise, right? Man, that's what it's about. The Word of God. There's praise. He blessed the Lord, the great God, but he's, he's praising God, blessing Him. And all the people answered, what? Amen, amen. You know what they're saying? We affirm. Yes, yes. Truly, truly. We agree, right? Amen, amen. While lifting up their hands. Look at, look at the outward forms of worship that's seen here. They, they lift up their hands. They bowed low. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Outward things that Hebrew people did, and sometimes you know in the contemporary church you'll see that. Sometimes not. There's just so many different ways. And of course, there's postures of prayer, not just one way, but that's a good way. That was a that's definitely a biblical way. They they showed that they were really really meaning this. Of course, some people can do these and just doing it outwardly, and it's not really uh, heart meant. You have praise, you have affirmation here from the people. They're all in agreement with what's being said. Lifting up holy hands, recognizing the holiness of God, and they're bowing low, worshiping faces to the ground. Now the next one, found in verse 7 and 8, God's people must be taught the Word of God. It's not only read here, but it's time to teach it. So verse 7, you have all those names. I'm not going to go through that again. (laughs) Anyway, it said right at the end of verse 7, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. I love this. Not only do you have the reading of the Word, now you have explanation of it. you know what that is? That's expository. That's explaining what it means. It's not like... Ordinarily, in, in much of the church today, 
you have a you have a reading of a verse or two. Preacher closes the book and he starts going into stories. He doesn't really tell you much about that passage. Hopefully he is, but in a lot of cases that's not the the situation. You got your reading. Now let's let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to testimonies and good stories and such, right? Rather than explaining the music. Yeah, just all the music, right? But what's here? It's it's explaining what it's about. You, you have to like that. Um, that's and that's what expository is. I think verse by verse through the through particular books is one of the best ways. I took one verse and spent what three weeks on it. It's still one verse. That, that was still expository, although it wasn't really well, not in in a book. But we will be. That's on Sundays. Here we are in a book of Nehemiah. That's the way we do it. Best way to understand Scripture explains Scripture. Much of the Bible is plain to anyone. You can get just you can get a six year old, and they can hear the Bible. And you know what? They can understand it. People say well, that's over their heads. No, no, no. Who wrote this? God did. He meant it for the average person. The one, even the uneducated, can still understand God's word. It's simple and yet profound. Mark Twain said, he, he was supposed to have said that. He says, it wasn't the sections of the Bible that he couldn't understand that bothered him. You know where that's going. It was the parts that he could understand that troubled him. That's a good point. There's some sections of Scripture that are difficult to grasp, aren't there? And that's where God has given church pastors, the church authors, and a lot of different tools to us so that we can understand the difficult one. If it's written by God... Yes, He is going to give us some things where we have to dig. Isn't it great when you dig for something and then you find it and you get it? It's like you worked for that. It was important. You got it and it was worth every bit of it, right? Like you go in to dig for gold, dig for silver, precious jewels and and such. Uh, That's the way it is here. God has given us study Bibles. A lot of people here have study Bibles or Bible handbooks, word study books, Greek, Hebrew, if you want to get into the depth, commentaries, Bible encyclopedias, Bible dictionaries, concordances. I mean, we have everything that we can get. And if we don't have it, I'm sure somebody would be glad to lend you some. <laughs> I mean, they're there. They're there. As a matter of fact, almost all of those things are free. Just go on the Internet one tap... Ever since I uh, <laughs> have not been at the store, it's a little bit harder to get a hold of books. <laughs> I mean, right there, you know, I always had them there. Yeah. And if I didn't, I can order them real quick and get them in a couple of days. But uh, I don't have that, that same access. But since then, it's amazing how many books have become available for free. And so I get a lot of my information. Uh, I still read books, but I read a lot on readers now which I saw man that's the death of Christian bookstores and it was but at the same time now I'm doing it you know but hey it gives me food gives me food to give to everybody else too and there are books that were written in the 1600's by the Puritans that I can get a hold of now that was impossible to get 
for my store 20 years ago. The book wasn't even out. It wasn't available anymore. It was out of print. Now they're available. They've been put in for all to read for zero. Unbelievable. So I'm thankful that I have that kind of access. Uh, the Bible teaches about a subject. You compare Scripture with Scripture. That's the best commentary on the Bible is another Scripture that's saying the same thing. And it does that all the way through. Customs, manners, no history, historical truths really help. Biblical languages, if you don't know Greek, that's okay. You can open up a Vines and get a pretty good idea of what that word is. It can help you understand so the languages are not a, a stumbling point. The context, get the large context. What's this book basically about in one word, two words? What is it about? So when you go to that verse, then you think, okay, how does this fit in with that main overall thought? What's this chapter basically about? The larger context, how does this fit in with that? So interpreting on your own. But here you have these people, they're, they're getting it. Uh, as like translated it says verse 8 they read from the book from the law of God translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading and that's what it's about so people will understand uh, what happened you know those, all those people that had the names that I couldn't pronounce very good that I just kind of blew over real quick <laughs> those guys are out there Ezra read the scripture then these guys come along and it's like I have to tend to think they went to different groups smaller groups kind of broke it down and these guys then came along and then just explained what was read they expounded exposited that's rather exciting isn't it you've heard of small groups (laughs) well I don't know how small these groups were they're going to but that's possible. It's something like that. Anyway, they're, they're getting a, this law explained to them. Uh, some say that translation, they were, it was translated to give a sense that they understood the reading. Some people say, well, and this could be, they spoke Aramaic. And so when the biblical Hebrew was read, it had to be translated for these people to do that. It could be that. I won't rule that out. But probably in the sense of uh, some of the Bible translations we have today, it was like the teachers made the reading of the Scripture clear. And they gave the meaning of what was given as it was read. That's probably what Ezra is doing. He'd read a section and then his assistants would come along, go out to possibly these groups, and then expound on that section. And then Ezra would then read the word again Um, it's to be accurate it's to be clear and applied to life I mean you can know some really cool things about it but if you don't apply it to life then it doesn't doesn't really matter it has to be accurate you know a person can have a lot of interesting points and a lot of facts but if it's just that and not about what the passage is teaching what is it good for it has to be clear there were some difficult passages that Paul wrote that Peter had mentioned about. Remember that? Some pretty difficult writings, Peter said. So God makes some things that you have to dig for. Uh, Jesus would do that. You know the parables that he did? It was really meant to be understood. 
get to the people that didn't really want to understand they were the scoffers he actually hid the truth from them deep principles of the word of God Jesus was actually hiding them um, Martin Luther condemned the preachers who aimed at all the intellectuals that were out in the crowd he condemned them instead of them helping the simple the unlearned people understanding saving truth they were trying to make themselves look really big and intellectual to the intellectual elite appealing to their minds and that was all and the Bible is meant to be broken down to be concise and clear and I've seen teachers that were good teachers but a lot of times they, they were trying to smear it up and say what did he just say and it was like they were trying to make it like complicated. Yeah, complicated. He said, wait a minute. You've taken something here that was simple and made it something that's really kind of hard to understand. And you give an answer of what is clearly there and they say, no, that's not it. Because they want to hold you in the grips, you know, because they want to be the star of the show here. But that's not what it's about. Martin Luther said that he had more than 40 doctors and magistrates in his church. And when he preached, he actually spoke to the young, to children, to servants. We're talking about people who didn't, weren't even at reading level or such. And he says, if the educated people out there were not impressed, he said, the door is open, let them be gone. <laughs> it sounds like Martin Luther, doesn't it? <laughs> but anyway, we're pretty well come to the close of this tonight. But we're talking about it must be applied to life. John Calvin people think that he was over people's heads at all. You ever read his commentaries? You ever read his systematic theology? You know, the two volumes? The Institutes. That's his systematic theology. Do you know, I've heard people thought it was going to be well over their head and they'd never understand it. It is so broken down, it was meant for anybody to read it. If you pick it up and read it, wow, this is this is not hard at all. It's not. It, 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 he, he made it for people to understand. Granted, they had to translate it from French right, to, to English. But he didn't view theology as an end in itself. And, and I'll close with this, this comment right here. When I expound Holy Scripture, I must always make this my rule. Those who hear me may receive profit from the teaching I put forward and be edified to salvation. If I did not procure the edification of those who hear me, I'm a sacrilege profaning God's Word. The Word of God is not to teach us to prattle, not to make us eloquent and subtle, and I know not what. It is to reform our life. And that's what it's about. It's to reform our life so that it is known that we desire to serve God, to give ourselves entirely to Him, and to conform ourselves to His good will. That's where we're going to stop tonight because that's exactly where it hit the people. It was read. It was explained. It was done clearly. The people understood it said. And that's what it says right at the end of verse 8. So that they understood the reading. That's the whole goal of the preacher after he studied all week as he delivers that Sunday morning or the Tuesday night Bible study is that people would understand 
And as they understand, they would respond. And that starts in verse 9. And we have to stop there tonight. Eldon, can you close this with prayer?